What's the worst day you ever had in your business? I can name a few. I was a five-time award-winning entrepreneur who burned out because I couldn't give up control of anything in my business, whether it was because I thought I could do it faster or because I thought I couldn't afford it. I just refused to let anybody else in. Consequently, the business turned from a dream goal into a job I hated and I didn't know what to do anymore. In 2015, I closed my business, walked away, and started a whole new life. But I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up after that. And I realized that what I really love to do is marketing. I love to talk about marketing and create marketing and teach other people how to create value-based marketing initiatives that talk to their customers. I've done it for corporations, for entrepreneurs like you, bloggers, and everybody in between. I'm here to help you create your dream empire that gives you the freedom to create your life the way you want to do it. My name is Megan Brain. This is Stop Sucking Your Business. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a, I don't know, recap of what this is going to be. Uh, we've been going through our archives of episodes and have found some ones that are just really good, like really helpful. And I don't want you to miss out on the information that a lot of these come from. So we are releasing every week an episode from the archives, and this is one of them. So I hope you like it. Hey guys, welcome to the show. My name is Megan Bream. I'm an award-winning entrepreneur, and I am here to help you succeed in your small business. Thank you so much for joining me. First, I wanted to <laughs> uh, address a question that I got in my email and I don't know if anybody else has been thinking about this or not, or now that I will say it, you will be thinking about it, but I received this email and I can't do the sound where, you know, people are like shuffling papers or something because it's an email. So I will shuffle my agenda. There. That was, <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? Right? Anyways. I got asked if I got divorced because I never use my full name anymore. And no, I have not gotten divorced. I am still Megan Brain Finkelstein, but you may have noticed Brain Finkelstein is very hard to type out and it's just a lot, especially if I'm asking you to type in a URL. So I just went with my maiden name, Megan Brain. I'm still married, I'm still happily married, and we're still together. Yeah. <laughs> in case you were wondering, there is no discord in the house of Finkelstein. But let's get back to the show. This episode is with a woman that I've been chasing for like months now, and not chasing her because she's been elusive or anything, but chasing her because um, I'm flaky. And also she just is fascinating to me because she created a physical product, right? But she did it in such a brilliant way and such a way that I think that a lot of people don't even think about when they're starting a small creative business. And that is just totally outsourcing it, sourcing it from a factory, having the factory make it, and then going from there. And I know that sounds like, well, duh, that's how 
most businesses start. And yeah, that is how most businesses start, but that's not how most handmade or small creative businesses start. And I wanted to bring Liz on to talk about all of the different ways that you can have a product made and to consider it as a viable option. Because as we've talked about before, when you're highest on the food chain in your business, you shouldn't be down in the trenches, right? You should be making hired decisions rather than like, I got to make all these lip balms or I got to make all of these cards, things like that. Instead, you should be focusing on sales strategy, marketing, all of that stuff, right? So that's why I wanted to bring Liz on to talk about sourcing and to kind of stop any fears that you might have about dealing with factories, even if you're dealing with factories in China, or if you're sourcing domestically, you know, there's all of these options available to you. And so that's why I really wanted to talk to Liz today. And if you want more info about all of the ins and outs on sourcing and developing physical products, I definitely recommend her website, learntomakeaproduct.com. It's just so smart. And like you hear in the interview towards the end, I say that I was on that website for a while and I was like, I was just soaking up all of this info that I had wish I had when I was doing my own physical products because it was just, it's so smart. And I know that it can be intimidating because sourcing from a factory, it's like, that's like big business stuff, right? That's feels like a lot of paperwork or a lot of costs and things like that. And it doesn't have to be. If you just chunk it down and break it up and figure out how to make it work for you. There are tons of companies that will work with you. And so uh, I don't want you to be intimidated by it. And that's why definitely listen to this episode about how to source product with Liz Long. You ready? Let's go. All right, Liz, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk with you about your story and what you do now, because like we, when we discussed before, uh, we kind of have the same story where we had this company started and then we really found things that were more fulfilling or, you know, as fulfilling, but adding on the, the extra value of helping others. So, um, can you just do a quick run over of how you got into this, what your origins are? Sure. So, I started a company called Bag the Habit that makes reusable shopping bags. So we produced all kinds of reusable bags that reduced the need for paper and plastic. And we made them for um, large retailers, bringing them into their stores and communities to reduce waste. And, and the company's still going. So I started that without much knowledge of the manufacturing process and really how difficult it was to get something made. And as a result of the painful learning curve that I went through, um, which, you know, I won't bore you with now, but it involves a lot of quality problems, like embarrassing ones where people's handles were falling off the bags and just terrible factories taking our money. You know, it's like every, every problem in the book we seem to have. So as a result of going through all of that, I started to see, hey, there's not much guidance and information out there to help people through this process, specifically around the making part of a product. There's a lot of in the selling and marketing. Um, so I started to pivot a bit and do more teaching and speaking to that to an audience who would be interested in learning about that and the response was really overwhelming there were a lot of makers out there who were just like having the same kind of problems I had um and so kind of because of that success and that demand I, 
I moved to doing that more full-time, which is what I'm doing now. Um, so providing consulting and workshops and everything around um, the process of getting something made successfully. I love that. And I love, especially, I think that sourcing is something that a lot of creative people don't really think about when it comes to their actual product. They think like, oh, I'll just, I'll just make it and then we'll see what happens. You know what I, I mean? <laughs> and so say I'm totally new to this and I think like, you know, I really want to make something. I really have this product that um, I have in my head or like I've kind of made it before and people really liked it. What would you think would be the catalyst between making it myself and uh, sourcing from others? So I think the big thing that people underestimate is the cost. Well, I'll start there. Um, (laughs) So just getting something made with other people and going through the development process um, and and finding factories and then placing a starting order and ordering all the materials that you'll need, it just tends to be a little more expensive than people anticipate. So I think that is one thing just to be aware of before getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some pre- preliminary sourcing you can do to kind of figure that out before you actually get started. You know, how much is this going to cost me? So I think that that's one. And the other is, is, is tapping into a community and kind of a network of suppliers so that you're able to get a lot of different quotes and compare pricing and options. Um, And there's a lot of great sourcing platforms out there. I work with Makers Row, which is one of them, but there are are plenty of places where people can find suppliers. And so really tapping into something like that, where you have the information right there is really, really helpful. Now you talked about cost and I'm sure that there's things that are involved with that, not only the materials, but the minimum order quantities and things like that. So Um, In your experience, what is a good way to vet your product for viability before you place this, you know, 500 minimum piece order or things like that? Yeah. So starting out with, first of all, starting out with prototypes that you really, really test is number one. So having the factory make you a perfect sample and treating that differently than your full production run. So some factories will say, hey, give us a deposit, then we'll make you a sample that you can approve, and then we'll make the full run, and then you can pay the balance. Okay. And I tell people to say, you know, start out as like a separate purchase order with just getting that sample made, even if it's a few hundred dollars extra because what it enables you to do is really test the viability of your product, test the factory's quality and how they made it and give some time to that process. Um, And then if everything's good to go, you can go back to the factory and um, get started on a full order. So I think that's probably the most important thing that people can do in really starting small. And then the other side of it is even if you have money to place some some huge order i'd really try and work with the factory and negotiate them down on the minimums as low as they they can go because getting stuck with inventory that you decide you want to change something about the design or the oh, factory comes the or there's a quality problem you didn't anticipate whatever it is or you thought everyone would buy purple and they end up buying red and you have a million purple you know like starting small even if your margins are not great it, that's a financial compromise that I think is wise making. You only have to do it for your, you know, as you're first getting started. I love that. And that's so true. Like you think that you'll have, oh, I, I know exactly what these people want. And then all of a sudden they're, like you said, they're buying red instead of purple. And you're like, wait a minute. Uh-huh. And then you don't have any more money to buy <laughs> or purple or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, how can I turn this purple into red? I don't, ah, uh. hmm. it's so true. Um, what do you think that a lot of people get wrong 
when they're first starting to source. Like, I, and I'm sure that it's like finding the wrong factory or things like that. But you said that people don't really take into account the cost of it. So um, can you expand on that a little more? And just like if there's any other things that you just see over and over again that people are just missing the mark with? I think one of the main mistakes is people don't take 100% responsibility for their own quality. So they really put quality control onto the factory. You know, it's the factory's job to produce a high quality product. So I'm going to trust that they're going to do that. And I'm going to put that responsibility on their shoulders. And in a perfect world, that's absolutely how it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, it just doesn't. Um, there's I, I always use an example you know, if say you're making toys, right. And you have this little W widget factory sticker that you want going on the back of your toy and it comes time for the production day. And whoever's putting on those little stickers is like, Oh, look, it's an M sticker. Great. (laughs) That those kind of mistakes, they don't have to be a bad factory to make that kind of mistake. It's just that no one or rarely are people paying as much attention to your branding, your product, all of the details as you are. So building in a system of checks and balances to make sure all of your instructions are followed and and giving them those instructions in the first place is something people really need to take on themselves and not kind of trusting or assuming that a factory will always make the best decision because that's often where the quality problems happen. Oh, absolutely. I've had times when even just like ordering labels or something like that, where I was like, they they know what to do. It's fine. And then no, nobody's a mind reader, right? And so it, it, yes, yes. What you just said, that assumption is where I see people get into so much trouble. They just assume, oh, these people make these toys all the time or these labels all the time. Like they know what they're doing. And, and it's just, you don't want to leave any room for miscommunications. Absolutely. And I, I know that at first it kind of feels like, oh God, I'm, I'm talking to them like they're five years old or something, but that's, that's where the, that's where the success happens, right? Absolutely. Yep. And okay, so that's another thing I do want to say. People are, they're too polite or or they worry about how they'll be perceived. And that's probably another one of the most common errors. So say they got those doll toys, whatever example I just used. And they're like, oh, you know, this little hand is coming off, but this factory makes these all day long. They must know what they're doing. I don't want to ask about it. I don't want to seem like annoying or whatever. And then you get the toys and all the hands fall off and kids are choking on them and, and, you know. (laughs) let's say that factory there, whoever supplies their adhesive gave them a bad batch. Like don't, you just don't want to ever assume and you want to speak up if you kind of have that feeling in your stomach or, or you just notice something that doesn't seem right. Oh, that's so, that's so true. And I know, like you said, everybody just feels kind of polite or like, I I don't want, they know what they're doing. Like you're paying them money. Yeah. That it's, yeah. uh, I've had to deal with that. And I'm sure a lot of people do that too. But so when it, I've got this idea and I want to make a toy, where, where do I get started? Like, so how do I, because going to something like Alibaba or something just seems really overwhelming, right? And how, mm-hmm. how do you sort of, how do you approach a vendor and where do you just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, I think the thing that people don't always think about is that they need a fully finished design in order to approach a factory. Um, and I'll, I'll contradict that in just a minute, but for the most part, you, you know, you don't just go to a factory and they push a button and make 
your product. You have to go to them with a very precise set of instructions that most people who have a product idea cannot make themselves. Mm -hmm. Most creative people that have certain design skills, computer skills can. Um, but, but most of us need the help of a technical designer. So it's really locating that person. It's kind of this preliminary thing that people don't always anticipate. And that's where some of the costs comes into play. So that person creates sketches and helps you on rough prototypes and creates, you know, a set of specifications that a factory will then follow. Um, and, and factories really specialize in replication, not design. And so that's another thing that people, they, you know, they want a factory to kind of figure out their whole design and that's not what factories do. Now, I said I was going to contradict myself and there, there are factories out there that have design teams in-house and will help people through the development phase, but it's, they have very specialized people. So if you're looking for one of those people, it's something you need to kind of consciously seek out. Otherwise you really need to look for a technical designer or someone to assist you on the design part. Um, Do you recommend something like 99 designs or something like that? Yeah, I, I think so. I would come at it from a few ways. I'd always first ask my network, you know, um, let's say I'm making like baby blankets or something. I need to look for someone who specializes in sewn products. I might need to look for a graphic designer to do the whatever graphics that I plan on printing them, those kind of things. So I'd always ask around first. I think the sites like, you know, Elance and and all Upwork, all of those sites could be potential places to find people. Behance is a great place for creatives. Um, and then finally, if you're looking for kind of these factory all-in-one places that that cater to new designers and have design teams, you can go to the sourcing platforms. So, you know, you might be able to find someone on Alibaba. You could find someone on Maker's Row. You could find, you could go to places like that. I love that. And it's, it, it seems so overwhelming, but it's, you're right. Like once you make this plan, all you have to do is just implement the plan. Right. And I think like the simple thing of having just an email template that's really well done and maybe even having someone from the industry say, Hey, I, I'm going to approach, you know, these factories or these creative professionals. Can you just like help me create some sort of outreach temple so, template? So I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So having something like that, that's really clear and then being able to just blast that out to everyone you find. So you're not constantly <laughs> Venting the wheel, right. you know, save it in a Google Doc somewhere like that. You know, it becomes the actual outreach just becomes a question of hitting volume. You know, send it to a million people and see what comes back. <laughs> <laughs> well, along those lines, so you know, you're you're trying to establish this relationship, and you're trying to you know source the best product that you can with the budget that you have in mind and things like that. But if you're new to this, or you're new to the, just even that factory, what are some red flags that you feel that you should look out for? The first is when a factory is really disorganized in the way that they respond. Um, so if you ask them three questions and they kind of only answer two, um, did they forget? Are they avoiding your question? Or do they just like they give you a proposal and it has the wrong person's name on it? You know, th- those kind of disorganizational things are, are a problem with factories because factories really need to be precise. <laughs> um, in a different industry, we might give a little bit more of a pass, but not in manufacturing. It's a precise thing. So, so kind of that disorganization on the surface l- leads me to think there might be problems like a little bit deeper. Um, another is if they're not open to letting you visit, which most places are, but, um, this is particularly true if you're working with an overseas supplier, because what can happen is you have these kind of shell people who claim to be from a factory, but they're either just getting your business and then selling it to a factory and kind of asking, acting as an intermediary, like a broker. 
Yeah, but the, but some of them are not. If they're if they're an official broker and they're upfront about that, great. That, I think that can be really that can add some value. But if they're they're acting like they're from a factory, but they're really not. That's it. Like if they don't have a factory email address, if they're not willing to meet you at a factory, let's say you're going to Shanghai, you want to meet with them, and they they won't meet you at their facility. Those are all really big red flags because all of a sudden, if you work with them and something goes wrong, you don't have any direct line to the factory to fix things. Yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, so so kind of looking out for people that are not. It's not really clear what they do, and oftentimes email address. Um, going to the factory website and emailing someone else, like the general info at or whatever it is and saying, Hey, I've been speaking with so-and-so, you know, just like really confirming who people are. Um, when there's scams overseas, I would say this is the most common way they're done. So that would be a red flag. Oh, interesting. So just thinking about people that do Etsy or do uh, handmade things and they're kind of starting it from scratch, or maybe they don't want to crowdfund or maybe they, they don't have a big budget. Um, do you recommend that they, maybe start with wholesaling something and then tweaking? Or do you think, no, just start, like, build your custom product? What do you think is a, a, a better way to go? A hybrid answer or a hybrid solution that I prefer. I think it's great to build their own product. But what I would do is always try and order stock materials. So let's go back to the baby blankets. Like, if you you have this great, cool design, but for you to print bows or whatever it is you want to put on them in your particular, you know, graphic that you've created in color, you'll have to order probably a thousand yards of that fabric. So that then all of a sudden it becomes really expensive. If things go wrong, you're really financially exposed, blah, blah, blah. But if you choose like a stock pattern or a stock fabric, it's often really easy to make 50 of them. Um, so sometimes people have to compromise a little bit when it comes to the aesthetics of their product. This happens a lot with clothing. They'll, they'll want like this super custom fabric. Um, but if you can find materials that are available in stock that you can order low quantities of, it's just a much easier way to start. And then you can customize as you grow. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So we are getting towards the end of the interview, but, um, I just wanted to talk about, can you talk about learn to make a product.com? Sure. So I, I wanted to have a collection of answers. I, I guess you'd call them short articles about answers to people's most commonly asked questions and topics um, so that someone that was new could could read through and start to have an understanding of the industry, the common lingo, um, just answers to basic questions. So so that's why I started. I love it. And I love like I went through it uh, a couple of days ago and it's just so like the article about how to crowdfund to get the money for the POs. And like, it's so smart. I love all of these different entries you have. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I really like to write too. So that was, (laughs) you write, (laughs) you write really well. Thank you. Well, Liz, if people, how can people find you out in the internet world? So you can go to learn to make a product.com. You can also, I have a special um, page on makers row called makers row labs where I work with people one-on-one. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Liz Arlong. Wonderful. Liz, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was great. So what do you think? Are you into it? Do you want to make a product and have it sourced? I kind of do. I kind of love how easy she makes it seem. And Definitely, like I said before, check out her website. Just it's just so much info and she's so 
cool and helpful. So I would also maybe tweet her and tell her that she's a baller because Liz Long, you are a baller. Thank you so much for joining me if you listen to this. And in the meantime, subscribe to the podcast and make sure, could you do me a favor? Could you rate this on iTunes? It helps the show. It helps people find out about the show. And that would be really cool. The more people we help, the more everybody wins, right? So I'd really appreciate it if you could. If you're not into it, I understand. But if you are into it, you would be my bestie. Okay? Until next week. Next week, we're talking shop with one of my oldest business friends. Can't wait to talk to her. I'll see you next week.